you've already heard it all. But now you resonate. The world has pushed you out of what you thought you knew, your comfort zone, and into this strange place, this slightly off reality. Welcome to the Truth Serum Podcast, hosted by the controversial and funny Dom Bates, author, mother, human, and all-round thought leader. The time has come to realign your essence with your experience. We all know this world is changing. You're here now because you've personally felt it, and your reality has reflected the Truth Serum Podcast, getting to the root of what really is. And now, Dawn Bates. Okay, so today I'm here with um, a lady who I really, truly admire. Um, I haven't known her very long, um, but her work in the world touches my heart on many levels. Um, and I just had to interrupt her from a very poignant thing that she was saying about parenting and being seen because I knew that it was so needed to be shared. Um, today I have with me the gorgeous human Fritzy Holtzman, who um, not only has created the Step, in Circle, Step Inside the Circle movement, but the Compassionate Prison Project. And TV, film, productions under a belt and lots of accolades. But I don't think um, any of those really sum up the huge heart this woman has. Um, and so I'm uh, going to allow Fritzy to uh, come forward and tell us a little bit more about uh, the Compassionate Prison Project and the Step Inside the Circle movement that she has created with uh, some fellow game changers because we all need to be seen right we all need to step inside the circle so welcome Fritzy and thank you for joining me today thank you Don it's good to be here again we finally <laughs> yeah, no dogs this time no dogs no crazy dogs thank god um yeah we need to step inside the circle I think that's the key here the key to our isolation, we've all been isolated for over a year. And it just really brings to the forefront where all of us are kind of at in this, what isolation does, what what disconnection does to all of us. You know, I, I'm getting a little agoraphobic myself, just kind of, do I want to go back out? You know, I went to Costco and it was crazy and there's traffic and... <laughs> um, <laughs> No, don't do it. Uh, but I feel Is there like, a beach. Are there people on the beach? Okay, I'm not going to the beach. There are people on the beach. Right. I know. And but imagine so then we go to solitary confinement in prisons, right? Mm. And that's what happens to people in solitary. They start fearing other people. Mm. And and so we really it's about bringing awareness and consciousness to what's going on in prisons. Mm. And, and for us to be really deliberate about what we're doing in there, because they say we're keeping people safe, but if two out of three people uh, commit crimes once they're released, that's not safety. No. 
And um, so what is it that we're, what is the purpose of prison? Is it really to destroy and annihilate and, and keep prisons open? Or is it to rehabilitate and um, help people see who they truly are? Because mm. I think that's, that's, to me, that's the purpose of life, actually. It's not just in a prison. It's for all of us. Who are we really? We're, we're divine. We're magnificent. We're diamonds. And um, we just, we forget. We forgot. We forgot. You know, being a kid, watching our parents do their shenanigans, um, we forgot. Mm. What just came up for me there was... Um well the, the well the most expensive diamonds is a blue diamond because they are buried so deeply under the ground and very hard to reach and I was actually thinking that the prisoners that um, have probably committed some of the worst crimes are probably the biggest blue diamonds that actually walk this planet because they some of the work that I've done, I mean, I haven't worked directly in prisons. It's been something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. Um, and I remember working with a community group and there was a chap there who he couldn't even bring himself to say what he'd done. Um, and he was on a day release. Um, and um, He was, like you were saying, he was scared. He was scared to be. He was scared to be seen, the darkness within him. Um, I mean, this community group, there was a young girl who her family had sent her out to be prostituted and they were sending her younger brother out to sell drugs. And this is a fourth generation family doing this within the family. That's all they knew. Um it was heartbreaking, you know, and this prisoner was there to share his story and, um, you know, and I get so cross sometimes that people worry about how strong their Wi-Fi is and all these, you know, I remember when I was in Egypt and I had a meltdown because I didn't have three recycling bins. How, how much of a diva did I want to be? I'm thinking really seriously, don't get a grip on yourself. Um, but it was my way of coping with the fact that I was in a different country so far away from everything I knew. Um, and the work that you do and the work that I do, sometimes what we talk about is so far removed that people don't know how to access or get involved and deal with the things that some of these prisoners um, have been through. They can't comprehend it. So how do you get it, people involved with what you're doing? How do you cope with some of the things that you've learned and borne witness to? How do I cope? Um, I mean, um, I just got another letter today from a man on death row. He's been isolated for 30 years. and. Um, he's another diamond, you know, there's just diamonds. And in his language, you could see that he didn't have a lot of education. Um, you could see that he was kind of simple in thinking. 
but some of the wisdom that, sorry, the dog's barking. Um, some of the wisdom that he, I don't know what it is. Trying to pull. Yeah, let's pause. I think it's. Ah, well, Rocco wanted to join us, bless him. <laughs> I am sorry about that. So um, this death row man, um, and I get these, I get letters every day just about with the wisdom of being still. I mean, it's the stillness. They, they've been, not only have they visited their own darkness and their own, um, what they've done, but they've also come back. It's like, it's kind of like Dante's journey or the journey into, you know, um, Hades or something. Mm. They have the information we need. They have, um, you know, a lot of them haven't forgiven themselves. And I also want to say, you know, they did one bad thing in their lives. I mean, I'm sure they've done even more because uh, when you're, when you've been abused to that extent, you're prone to betraying yourself and you're prone to shenanigans. I call them shenanigans. Um, but they've also done a lot of wonderful things. You know, we forget. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a sec. Okay. They've, they murdered somebody. Horrifying. I, but that's not just who they are. You know, they no. smiled, they smiled at their mother. They made her, a, a, you know, a mother's day card, whatever it is, you know, their innocence is still there. And, mm. that, and the same with us, our innocence is still there. But just like the people in prison, we've lost connection to it. We've lost connection to who we truly are. And part of that is because we're judging other people and we're not, because what we, can, we can't see the beauty in them, we can't see the beauty in us. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. And so it, it's, it's really forgiving yourself for what you've done to yourself, hmm. mostly. And, but I think that in that is the key, is the key to all of it. Because when you forgive yourself, you can't really hate anybody else. You can't really feel... Um, you can't feel angry at them because you realize that we're all here just doing the best we can. I mean, honestly, 50 to 80% of the people in prison have traumatic brain injury. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to get technical, if you want to get scientific, if you damage this part of your brain, you've damaged the part of you that is able it's your executive function. It's the part that knows about, it's your wisdom, it's your consequences, it's your good or bad. Um, so imagine going, without, going through the world without that ability. Basically, a lot of your, um, you're basically surviving and your survival instincts, you're in this part of your brain, you're in your amygdala, your brainstem, you're, you know, you're functioning, but you're not you're not what makes you human as, as much, you know, it's damaged. So, but same with when you're in fight or flight. So that those brain, that brain science is really important for a society to start understanding mm. both, both for who we are, what we're doing. Just like when I get angry at my husband, you know, I start yelling at him. He, once I start yelling at him, he can't hear me. 
and he's not listening to me and I'm not listening to him. There's no, we're not communicating. No. The only way we communicate is if we're in that part of our brain. So, but crime and seeing people, seeing murders or hearing about murders puts us into fight or flight. Um, and it, it's that awareness of where are we now in our brain, right in this moment. Like you and I right now are in our cortex. We're here. Mm. We're having a conversation. I think you're hearing me. I'm hearing you. We're communicating. And I'm in a very calm state. So um, I'm almost catatonic. <laughs> but <laughs> some shifts. <laughs> but we've regulated each other so that um, we can create here. We can come up with ideas. We can discuss concepts. Hmm. This is where we need to get to in our society because prison is a solution created in fight or flight in the brainstem. Hmm. It's not a solution created in the cortex. No, and it's a system created out of fear, not of love and understanding. Exactly. And I remember um, when my ex-husband had a brain tumor, he had an ultravenous malformation brain tumor, and I started studying uh they gave me a leaflet on epilepsy. I was like, well, he's not epileptic. He's just had a seizure. And they wanted him to um, go on this medication. He became really, really angry. And I'm like, hang on a second. Like, why is he angry all the time? He's only been like this. So I started me being Dawn, being a total geek, neuroscience books coming out, like looking at brainwave patterns, looking at, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapies. and looking at you know had just like you know relationships and communication and like the psychology and I was totally down the rabbit hole with uh Alice and the caterpillar with I think we had the whole of India's tea uh with us at that point and looking at going and I actually said to her thank you so much for having that brain tumor you've gifted me so much knowledge um and he was like, yeah, not doing it again. I was like, oh, that's all right. Uh, but when we're looking at um, what is happening in the world and we look at how we're not coming at it from love or from understanding and we're actually really afraid. Because so, someone said to me, Dawn, I, I can't read some of the things you write. I, it, it's too uncomfortable for me. I don't know how you access it. I don't know how you remain happy all the time. Um, and I said, I'm not happy all the time. Some of the things I read and some of the things I find out are really heartbreaking, like how prisoners are, you know, treated and how children in homes are treated, um, how, you know, the police are treated in a lot of ways because, and the prison, the prison uh, officers, you know, what they have to witness and, you know, how they're primed a lot of the time to be afraid of these prisoners. And they're then in this building that is so stark a lot of the time, so clinical, um, and they're getting to know these prisoners as humans when they're in there for a long period and they're seeing things differently and they can't they're and it's almost like their hands are tied that they can't share in some ways the beauty of these men and women that have done atrocious things 
because no one wants to listen. No one wants to hear it. Well, I don't know if no one. I, I think people want Oh, very few. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think voices are coming through now. And I think... Okay. Uh, uh, Is that in the States? Because I know that very few in the UK want to listen. Well, maybe they haven't, they didn't know what to listen for. I don't know. I didn't, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like throw away the key, right? You know, throw them away. Mm. But I think, um, yeah, I guess in the States, we don't want to listen in that sense. But that's why we have to turn up the volume so that we can hear them, right? And we can hear the voices of wisdom and the wisdoms of compassion. I mean, there's some scary people in prison. And they've done very bad things. But guess what? They lived a scary life and very bad things were done to them. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, where do we begin to, to understand what's going on? When do we start to want to know? Mm-hmm. Do we want to start to know when they were being abused? Or do we want to start to know when we bury them, you know, from prison? You know, it's like, what we've done and what we're doing is hurting not only our own our own bodies it's hurting the planet and it's hurting hmm. it's hurting the way we react we work we work with each other on a daily basis you know our political system is completely divided but all of these things are everything is integrated i believe it's all it's one organism so um what you know i'm just talking about the us but the way our political system is working is very much tied to the way we treat people in prison, the way we treat youth, the youth that do do crimes, the way we treat homeless, the way we treat old people. It's mm. all integrated because none of us really want to look at anything. We don't want to look at trauma. I don't know about. I know I didn't want to look at trauma. I know when I'd pass a homeless person on the street, I would, I would try and. Uh, not look and now I look now I look because I realize that this is this man is part of me um and now I wave to him every day and uh sometimes I give him money sometimes he won't take my money um but that's a part of me that that man is me and you know if we could see if we could see the energetic connection that we really have I mean if we could do a bird's eye view and see all the energetic connections I mean just connecting to this this tree outside my my window you know that's connected to me and I know that seems esoteric or ephemeral but it really is and because just try it when you go out into nature how do you feel um there's like a healingness and like a connection Mm. that that you you it's like you get back from the earth because you're you're in a place where where you belong um it's how i feel when i lay on the beach or if i'm like when i go um because some of the work that i do i am holding trauma for um people as they're sharing what it is that's stopping them from writing their biography uh, sorry their book their memoir or their autobiography you know, or they're wanting to do create these businesses where they want to help. And I'm like, but why do you want to help? What What is behind that? What is that driver? 
you know, when I've held when I've held space for them, one of the biggest things I need to do, like, is that I have to put everything away. I have to go to the beach and I have to either lie down on the beach, just listen to the ocean with my eyes closed, or I need to just get in the water um, and just float and let the ocean just hold me and move with the the waves moving up and down and and I know that for some people seeing a woman floating on the top of the ocean is probably a scary thing because you know I mean I've there have been times where people come up to me and like like, oh sorry (laughs) and I they've jumped because they've thought oh my god is she okay is she drowned is like but when you're held by the earth or you're like when I used to take my dogs for a walk when I was going through the Scotland saga when I was arrested um and this again is where my my it feels like a need to get involved with the prisons and I remember journaling about it I want to get involved with this I want to know how we can help I want to make a difference I, the reason I'm writing these books and these articles and I'm speaking about all these things is because it's not about what they've done. It was about what was done to them, but also what happened to the people that did it to them. What led them to that? Um, and there's a chap whose book I published last year, Corey, Corey Carpenter. He wrote a book, Becoming the Champion. Um, oh, his wow it was a painful read but a necessary one um and it's the connections and the the blind eyes that were turned um he was from arizona and he was talking about a lot of the stuff that was going on there and how he was saying that just to avoid all of the abuse that he was going through he would just go and play in the river he would go for a walk in the mountains and he'd go and just sit under the tree and he would just be and sit underneath the moon and the stars and just be in the darkness and just be encompassed by this natural energy. And like you say, I think that when I've looked at prisons, like being in a police cell myself, I mean, I was only there for three days. Um, and I have no idea why I was there. Um, it was all a blur. I'm like, well, I don't even know why I'm here. And then you're in these handcuffs and you're treated as if you are the worst thing on the planet and you're pushed here and dragged here and your hands are in handcuffs and you're dragged here and you're pushed into a cell and they've taken the handcuffs off and, you know, they you don't even get a toothbrush to clean your teeth. You're not allowed to shower. You're not allowed. And you're in the same clothes. And I was in the same clothes for three days. And, you know, and then I'm taken out of this police cell, um, fingerprinted, had my photo taken. I'm thinking, you could have at least let me shower before you took my photo, you know, the vanity in me. And then I'm hauled into this armoured van. I'm put into a cell on the van driven to goodness knows where. And I remember to my right, there was this little tiny square window. And I was just like really wanting to just feel that sun on my face. And I was thinking, I've only been inside for three days. 
and then I started crying and then uh, about an hour later and I'm dragged out of this cell off this armored vehicle and then dragged by this guard into this other cell and the guy who and the lady who took over they were just looked at this guy because he's kind of dragging me um and then I want a cup of tea and they were so lovely and I had no idea where I was and the next thing I know I'm there and they've got me a pot noodle and I don't eat I don't eat gluten I don't eat processed food but I was like oh my god just give me the pot noodle <laughs> just because it was given with such love and there was this cup of tea and then the next thing you know you're up in this magistrate's court and you're being told all this stuff that you're supposed to have done and you're just like what hey that wasn't me I have no idea and sitting in the courtroom while I'm waiting for my trial to start I there are three incidences that really resonate with me and it made me even more determined to get involved there was a chap that was there he didn't need prison he needed love he needed something that no prison i don't think could ever give him he wasn't even firing on all cylinders he was just away with whatever it was and he'd just come out of prison and they were trying him for something else this man was not fully functioning at all and you could feel his energy and then there were these three young lads who just looked completely lost they were 17 um they were accused of doing things and i'm th sitting there thinking oh my gosh these are just young lads you know, what they're doing is they're just getting up to mischief. Obviously, I don't know any of these backstories. And the way in which the judge was speaking to these young lads, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if that's how they're spoken to. There's so much contempt and so much disrespect. There is no humanity in that at all. And then there was this woman who had um, her whole, she was new into the court. Um, and her lawyer had explained the whole situation and, you know, there was a massive grief that she'd experienced. Um, she'd got behind on some payments um, and she apparently she'd had lots and lots of letters um, and the lawyer said, but she's in therapy and the judge goes, so you're telling me she's insane then? And um, the lawyer said, well, no, I'm saying she's having therapy and she's, you know, she's seeking help, but she can't make this payment. And unfortunately, the fine or whatever it was came with, if you didn't pay it, you went to prison. This woman has suffered massive trauma through grief and here she is being hauled off to prison in front of me. I'm crying. At this point, I'm just crying, thinking what an inhumane environment. Um, and so I thank God that I, I know it sounds quite strange, I actually thank God that I got falsely arrested and experienced that because now I, have an insight even more into a system um, and I now look okay did these people actually do what they're being accused of has it been blown out of proportion and if they did what are they experiencing you know, me trying to get as much sun on my face after three days of being in a windowless cell and if people have been in prison for a week a year 
a decade. I, I, it's it's harsh. Yeah, thirty I, years, forty years, fifty years. Their yeah. whole life for something they did as a child, where they didn't have the tools. They didn't even have the brain. Mm. They didn't have the brain. They were being tried as an adult, but they're not. Their brain wasn't an adult, so I don't know. I don't know where we're thinking. Clearly, we're not thinking it as an adult. Because if you understand the brain science, then you understand that my son, my 14 years, he's impulsive. He's, um, he's just driven by sugar and video games. But that's, that's his brain. You know, a man's brain fully developed by, you know, 25, 27, maybe 30 mm -hmm. in some instances. That cortex is not fully online until you know, close to 30. So mm -hmm. we say, oh yeah, this 15 who did it, 15 year old who did something heinous, heinous, remember. Mm -hmm. But that's brainstem activity. That's, and we don't really know. We don't know what, from where he came from and the torture that he endured. Mm -hmm. and so we must walk in their shoes and only, only then can we begin to understand what's, what, what needs to be done, not what punishment needs to happen, but what needs to be done. Because that's, that's called compassion and that's called um, humanity. And that's what we're capable of. So um, my request, my request to all of us is that we, you know, examine the violence that we're doing to ourselves and we examine the violence that we're doing to each other. Hmm. It's not just in our criminal justice system, it's also in our interpersonal relationships. It's in the way we think about uh, politicians or we think about our neighbors or we think about um, the rich or the way we think about the poor. Mm. All of it, all of it has to be examined and um, come to terms with within our own selves, I think. Mm. I think you, you really touch on something there because we, the lady whose book that I'm uh, um, supporting to get published at the moment, um, we were discussing the other day about bullying in schools and how we have all of these safeguarding methods, which I don't know how it's like in the States, but Predominantly in the UK, I've been a school governor. I've looked at and the, the policies and what have you, and most of it is just head counting how many children were at school today, how many weren't. Okay, right, that's, that's pretty much the, the sum total of safeguarding in the UK. And was this procedure followed and was this one not? Okay, well, and I remember Debbie saying that with the book that she's writing Alive to Thrive with these ladies that have been through the sex trafficking and the prostitution and everything, but we, we've got to understand that these things are happening. And unless we help give a voice to these issues and we don't look at these root causes and don't look at how we're interacting with waitress who got our food order wrong or the barista that gave us soy milk instead of almond milk or decaf instead of caffeinated our responses I mean I know that you've mentioned your road rage and you know that um and 
yeah, just how when things were like when I lived in Egypt, like, you know, and how people judge the Arabs. And, you know, there's me thinking they're all having an argument because they're all so animated and like, and then all of a sudden they're all laughing. And I'm like, what? Aren't you all about to kill each other? Well, no, it's because they've got all this passion and all this fire and, you know, but the the way in which we look at people from a different culture or a different gang or a different side of town. And one of the things when I watched uh, one of the videos that you have upon your YouTube channel, um, I, I, will, I was crying by the end of that, where you've got these men standing in this big circle. Um, I think this is what it was, I think, Jenny um, from uh, House of Preeminence, I think it was her that shared, like we both found your video all at, at the same time. Um, and um, watching these men, there was a question, you were asking a question after a question, and if this has happened, step inside the circle. If this has happened, step inside the circle. And you're seeing these men hesitating, these big burly men, scared to acknowledge what's happened to them and then they're looking around going actually this is all of us and then you can see that they're starting to see each other they're starting to see men they're starting to see brothers they're starting and gangs sides of towns their color their ages their crimes all of that was just falling away and I was just like okay I the lump was in my throat and I was like, what a really powerful explanation and demonstration of what is needed, not just in the prison system, but in schools, in workplaces, in community groups. We're not even allowed to have a lot of community groups anymore because we're afraid that someone might abuse us or we're, we can't send our children to a youth club in case there's a man there that might actually be abusing the children. We can't send our children to wherever it is because, you know, there's a man there. You can't have male teachers anymore um, because, you know, they might be abusing the girls in the class. You can't have the matron apply a plaster to a child's knee in school because it might be seen as abuse. Oh, that's England. I don't, you're looking like, what? That's happening in England, yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. When a child falls over, you want to hug them, right? Yeah, and that's just, um, that's, well, I can't comment on all the policies in the world. I'm going to stay with the prison ones because it's, um, that's where I'm focused. And I have, to, I have to stay in my lane because I, you know, we could, we could talk about the problems in the rest of the world all day long. Um, step inside the circle, those questions that we were saying were all adverse childhood experiences based on the ACE test, which um, was created by Dr. Vince Folletti and Dr. Robert Anda, mm. the CDC and Kaiser Permanente. And so tell you know, us more about the ACE test. Yeah, there's 10. I find these very. There's 10, these are the top oh. 10 findings that they, they found. They, they took a much bigger quiz with a lot more adversity um, so there's 10 of them. There's physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. There's physical and emotional neglect. There's parent or caregiver um, addicted to drugs or alcohol, pa parent or caregiver um, suicidal, mentally ill or depressed. Um, 
divorce or separation in the in the household, um, domestic violence, and a, a household member going to prison. So those are the top ten. And if you have the more adverse childhood experiences that you have, the higher your adverse health outcomes. So you're, um, it's, I think it's like twelve times more likely to commit suicide. Um, I think it's even higher than that. And um, if you have five or more aces, you're eight times more likely to become an alcoholic. Uh, six or more aces, uh, your life expectancy drops by 20 years, which is interesting because the life expectancy of a correctional officer is 59 years old. So that's basically 20 years. So that amount of adversity is what the prison guards are facing on a daily basis, the same as adverse childhood experiences, six of them. Um, and what happens biologically is you're put in a state of constant fight or flight. And this happens to the children when they're growing up, which is why they can't learn because their, their brain, um, their brain's focused on survival and it's not the, the prefrontal cortex is offline. That's where you learn. That's where you're able to socialize. That's where you're able to function. Um, but when you're, you're constantly dumping adrenaline and cortisol into your body, into your bloodstream, those are great when you want to get away from a bear, but if you're um, if you're in this, it'll if you're in this state all the time, it'll compromise your immune system, which is why all of these health outcomes you're 2.5 times more likely to get cancer and lung disease, and um, that's just that's that's just the three aces. But your autoimmune functions and all the comorbidity of COVID, I believe, is directly related to aces and. You know, especially being African American in in America, not only are you dealing with those ten aces, you're also dealing with racism and bullying and being mm. um, and poverty because being black in America is very hard to get. You know, you know, or at least in the past, it was very hard to get good in a uh, good income. So that kind of adversity over years and years and years really affects your health, and you're able to fight off infections and viruses. And so we have to look at that. And same with in prison. Um, one of the men in my film, Howard Ford, he was the man at the end who said, this has been one of the best days of my life. Um, they amputated both of his legs. He got COVID and they had to amputate both of his legs. And so, you know, we're thinking, well, what did they, what did the prison do to help prevent COVID? Well, there's, you know, the anti-maskers, and I'm, I'm not getting into that politics, but defiance on any level, um, when, it, when it involves the health of people in prison, um, can be devastating. That's why when you're a volunteer, you have to take a TB test, you mean, because that could spread throughout the, the community. And so, I mean, it's just really important that we value their lives as much as we value anybody's life. Mm. Um, because otherwise it's life it's life and you know same with well i'm not going to start i can't get into politics so yes life is life so um um and the death row you know the death row people on death row they're they're condemned to die and they're put they're they're put into like the deepest caves of the prisons prisons are already a cave but then they're like in a double cave isolated and they're they're condemned you know i mean just having that word placed on you that you're condemned what a horrifying 
what a horrifying thing we're doing. Mm. And that, that we're doing it. Do you understand? It's not, it's not outside of us. This is us. We have, we've decided that this is what we must do. And again, we all must decide what we're going to do next because this is us. Um, you know, we, we condemn people instead of say what happened to you. And uh, that's Oprah's new book, Oprah and Dr. Perry's new book called What Happened to You, all about trauma, changing the frame of the conversation from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. I highly recommend that book. Mm, much needed question. Yeah. Because mm. there's nothing wrong with any of us. No. Just a whole lot of things happened. Mm. And that's the thing, is it? It's a jigsaw. It's a jigsaw puzzle of pieces put together over time. And we experience things in ways that. Even siblings who grow up in the same household experience them so differently. Um, Absolutely. It's something that, I mean, even if we just bring it back to, you know, let's just say a car accident, you know, and you've got four witnesses and you've got one at each of the cardinal points. Um, and, you know, a police officer says, well, you know, what did it, what happened? And, they ask that person what happened and you've got all these four different reports. Um, none of us witnessed anything or experienced anything in the same way. And, you know, you're experiencing this. We're in the same conversation right here, right now, and experiencing a very different uh, existence within it. You know, your, your levels of awareness and knowledge and experience in life and your temperature and your clothes. I mean, I'm here in Brazil with air conditioning on and, you know, it's really hot. It's 37 degrees outside, so it's too hot to go to the beach right now. But, you know, and here you are with a jumper on and, you know, it's uh, and, and you've got your dog in the background. I'm thinking, you know, and in my back of my mind, I, when I heard Roxy, uh, uh, not Roxy, um, Rocco uh, barking, I was like, oh, I wonder what Kelton Chewy are doing. And, you know, and then this thing, you mentioned the aces. Um I, I interviewed my ex-husband. Uh, well, I had a com I say interviewed. We had a conversation. I, I don't really like to call them interviews because they are just conversations that we're having. Um, and we both made a very conscious choice when we got divorced that our boys knew that even though we were not going to be married anymore, we would always be the Aisha family. We would always be a family. And... Um, it wasn't about demonizing each other. Um, I mean, there were moments, you know, where I was like, your father, when I remember when the boys and I were on a road trip and I wanted to put the tent up and it was pouring down with rain, but I was so determined to put this tent up because it was, you know, and I was like, they're just in the car on their computer games. I'm swearing about their dad. If you were here, you'd be able to help me do this. And But you weren't here. You wouldn't even come camping. And then, he said, you know, there are things when he's tried to get a recipe and, you know, very simple things, but he wanted to make the food the way the boys enjoyed it and he didn't know how to make it because I used to do all the cooking, well, most of the cooking. And these, and how we, as parents we make each other wrong and you see a lot of women emasculating men in front of their children or, you know, parents saying, oh, you bloody mother and, you know, and these little 
they might just be little things, but over time, you know, these are in households that are probably, I don't like to use the word normal, but then when you've got additional stresses like, you know, a lack of work in the local environment or, you know, violence or there's a gang culture or you've got a child caring for the parent because the parent isn't able to take care of them, whether it's a drug addiction or whether it's a disability. And then you've got this child growing up with a resentment and is angry at the world because his friend's going out there and having fun. And then all of a sudden they snap and they make, like you're saying, they make that choice or that unconscious decision to do something because they're angry that they're the ones having to deal with this or that they haven't got and then the rest of their life is is just governed by other people's opinion of them and then then wanting to numb the pain and I I find that what I'm seeing in the prisons like you mentioned at the beginning where if they go in and then they still come out and they're still committing these crimes part of me is like how much of that is because it's safer for them in prison it's what they know well i don't think so i mean no i don't think they're committing crimes to get back into prison okay um, I, I think they're doing it because they don't they don't have they weren't given skills they weren't given a sense of agency or hope they weren't given, okay. I mean, and it's about giving it to them because right now they're deprived of it. So we have to, we actually have to actively bring these things in and tell them that they matter and that they're important and treat them as such when they return because they're, you know, a lot of people are given um, $20 or $200 and a bus ticket. Well, you try and live in the United States with $200 and a bus ticket and not have any job prospects, maybe not even have a, um, a driver's license or know what your social security number is you try and you try and function with that with with that uh gate money as they call it okay so next thing you know they're homeless and next thing you know they're probably back on drugs because they're they're feeling like crap so what is that that's i don't think that's a deliberately wanting to go back into prison that's just doing what they know so you have to replace what they know with something new that they know. They know this now. They know that they're valuable and they can, they can type. They can work in an office. They can um, research or whatever it is that needs to be done or work in, work in construction. But they need skills. You know, a lot of these people were taken off into prison when they're 14, 15 years old. I, I didn't have any skills at 14 years old. Um, I, you know, it's like. And this is a different world now. So you have to, yeah. have to help them make up their own new lives and not just say, here, go, good luck. It, it's um, plus, and in, in America, the probation and parole departments, they're very punitive. So if you don't show up on time or, or these are other ways to get back into prison, just don't meet your parole agent for a few, few meetings. So that's another way to keep, keep the prisons full and, and buoyant and making money for some people. Um, but I don't think prisons, I think prisons, we have to take all the profit out of prisons immediately because it's a tax on the poor. Um, you know, the phone calls, the, uh, the visits, just getting, getting to the prison is costly. And 
um, the commissary. M many of the people in prison are starving right now. They don't get enough to eat. Um, I heard one story. A man was, he saw his family and they say, are you okay? Are you okay, honey? You look thin. And he says, I'm fine. I'm getting enough food. It's great. But we know that he's starving. He doesn't have enough, but he doesn't want to tell his parents because he knows they can't afford it. But imagine, imagine not having enough to, to eat every day. I'm not saying there isn't children in the United States that aren't, don't have enough food, but I know in the prison system, in the California prison system that I'm living in, the overtime that we're spending just on one prison, just in one month, there were 20,000 hours of overtime. And that adds up to, I, I don't, it adds up to about $2 million, I think it is, um, in one month. And we still can't pay, we can't pay enough money to feed people adequately just so that they are not hungry, not, not going to bed hungry. So there's a disconnect in, in how, we're, how we're organizing our prisons, but also how we're deliberately ignoring the problems that are existing in prisons. And um, I mean, who are we? Who are we as a nation? Who are we as a, as a people that we would do this to our, our citizens? For those of you who can't see my face because you're only listening to the audio, um, you won't see the frown and the look of, say that again, on my face. <laughs> I, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to comprehend, first of all, the gate money that you talk about, that these, like you say, these, these people that have been inside this cave, and I think that's such a great analogy for it, um are then left to their own resources um and with two hundred dollars um some people spend that on a dinner uh you know i on one dinner i i, I and then uh, you're talking about starvation in prisons and there not being enough food and um and I know that people aren't allowed to take food or gifts into prison or reading materials into prison um and I, I'm just thinking, look, where where's humanity gone what why is it these people that are actually running this prison system why are these why are they these issues not being addressed that and again, the jobs worth is coming up. You know, some people are just, it's almost like that need to know kind of information. Like that person's got the information they need to do their job. That person's got the information they need to do their job. Never the twain shall meet. Um, and I go to work, I do my job, I sign the papers, I type up the emails and I send that and I stamp that, that goes off. The disjointedness within um, the system, whether it's America or the UK or wherever it is in the world and we in some ways we can't be cross at the people that work within the prison service because some of their own don't actually have the knowledge they need to be able to support or make a difference or they're not actually aware of what's going on but then I'm just like well how can people not be aware that this is going on Well, that's, that's that's what we're doing. We're 
we're raising awareness about about our dear our dear friends that live in prison are you know they're dear and i think everyone deserves a second chance basically because we know about the brain science now we know that this these aren't bad people these are just people who didn't who were living in their brain stem and you try and live on your brain stem for 20 30 years and see how you do see what, what choices you make if you call them choices because they're not choices no they're um they're impulses and they're you just do them and suddenly a lot of people don't remember what happened when they were committing the crime which to me or can't even remember why they committed the crime, which to me is another indication that this is not a prefrontal cortex activity. This is this is a survival mechanism that we mm. have that is great to have. It's very important if a bus is coming and suddenly you get out of the way, you don't even know the bus was coming, but your body did and you you reacted exactly how it saved your life. Mm. same mechanism when you're feeling threat or when a policeman shoots at someone who's running away why is this guy he's clearly not a threat not to not to the brainstem the brainstem still sees this man as a threat and will do what it has to do to make sure this is taken care of so and this is we must forgive all the policemen we must forgive all the prisoners and that's my sense is everyone gets everyone gets forgiven and let's build a new world. Let's reboot this thing because what we've done isn't working. It doesn't work. And um, there's other ways to get around this, this mess we've created. Okay. So let me um, come back to you on that and say that, you know, there are people listening to this, um, you know, and they're someone who has had their child taken from them and abused and then murdered and then, they're listening to what you're saying and like how dare you say that we forgive them how you know these people they deserve to be in there like you said they throw away the key you know you're just a do-gooder that's been brainwashed by these prisoners and you know what do you know Fritzy? you don't know anything you know you don't know what it's like to lose everything or to oh. see your wife or your parents shot in front of you and and because you know i know that there are people out there and you know that will be doing and and yes will, will, yes i'm yes i i mean look if someone took my son i don't know what i would do and i don't know if i could forgive and what i know is our path forward if we stay in the in the resentment it doesn't help it doesn't no. get us what we want which is a sense of peace and a sense of love but yes, oh my God, you know, all those things you said, you know, I, I feel that and I feel the pain of these, these poor victims. And, but they also need to know that the people who committed these crimes feel equally, more, they feel mortified with what they've done. At least, I mean, there's some sociopaths in there. Don't get me wrong, but I would say 95% of the people in there are mortified at what they've done. I have, I have reams of paper testifying to that effect. And um, I've asked, you know, in our class, I asked, you know, what, what were the consequences of your actions to the community, to the families, to the victim, uh, to your family, to yourself, to your community? So that one act created a hell 
a health, you know, whenever a shooting goes on in a, in a neighborhood, it traumatizes the entire neighborhood. It isn't just the family. It is the entire neighborhood. So, but just as this one act of violence, there's also acts of love. And it's as if we go towards love. And I know it sounds, it sounds ephemeral, but if we go towards love, and this is, this is all of our work though. This is, this is like, it's monumental and yet it's possible. So yes, the victims have been destroyed and, and never to make light of what happened there ever, never to make light of that. And also to say there are humans in there and we have to see that. We, ha- we can't just say they're inhuman now because they've done something wrong. We have to because it actually creates more crime. If yeah. you just on a, on a practical level, if you want to just be on a practical level, people who have lived a violent past need to know another way of being. That's what we're doing at Compassion Prison Project. We're teaching them about their trauma. We're teaching them about the brain science so they can start watching their behavior and start seeing, oh, wait a second, I'm in my brain, I'm in my brain stem again. I want to be in my cortex. How do I get back there? Well, we give them te- techniques, tapping and somatic healing and ways to get into your body because when you're that traumatized, you're completely numb. You've like, you've lost the ability to feel. And that's probably what got them to commit the crime in the first place. So it's about returning to our innocence and returning to um, who we really are. So... So you've just touched on there on some of the stuff that you do with the Compassion Prison Project. Um, and I know that we've talked about the prisons and, you know, the impact. But can you, because uh, I'm very uh, aware that we've already been going for a, an hour and I want to be obviously respectful of your time. And But for you to tell us uh, more about what it actually is, the Compassion Prison Project and you know, if people want to get involved, can they? And you mentioned, you know, you've got this documentary uh, film coming out. You know, what, what is it? You know, how can people get involved? What is it you need? And, I mean, like the food thing, I'm thinking, well, we need to do food drives. You know, people are throwing away so much food. And are we doing, like, donations? That, you know, what, what is the Compassion Pit Prison Project? And, you know, are there ways people can get involved? Absolutely. Um I would go to my website or our website, compassionprisonproject.org, and I would watch the film Step Inside the Circle so you really understand kind of what we do in prisons. The idea is to, it's really to make everyone in prison. My goal in the next two years is everyone in prison knows that they're traumatized. They just know it and that knows the brain science. So they really can start regulating their behavior and start saying, oh, wait, and seeing when other people are being disrespectful, that this is a trauma response. This has nothing to do with how they really feel. Because if you really ask how they really feel, they probably don't even know. And let's get to the bottom of it instead of being in reactive mode. And everybody in prison is in reactive mode because they're all, they all want to stay alive. Everyone in prison wants to stay alive. So they're, then they don't trust anyone. So we got to, we got to regulate everyone and get everyone into their cortex. That's it. That's, that's my goal is to get everyone into their cortex. And once we can get into our cortex, we can make better decisions. Like, is, does it make sense to put people in solitary for 30 years? Well, no, that's a trauma response. You mm. throw 
solitary because they said something bad to you or they, you know, they broke a rule. So you just deal with them that way instead of saying, you know, what, what happened to this person? Oh, his mother just died. That makes sense. Or, oh, I, you know, it's the anniversary of his son's death or whatever it is. We don't know. We don't know what caused that behavior, but it's Mm. not, it's not defiance. It's a trauma response. And that's Mm. when people get that, we can start changing prisons. We can start changing prisons. But I believe that once the guys in prison and the women realize that what they're doing is a trauma response and that they don't even know how great they are, they'll start, they'll start turning around and we'll have a different world. We'll have literally, we'll have a different world because that'll, uh, that'll ripple out into their communities and to their families. And I mean, that's what I see. I mean, I don't know why I see it, but I see a different world because of this. So, Mm. um, but I, I want to thank you so much, Don, for this time and this conversation. It was, you're welcome. It's really, I feel it's needed. One of the reasons why I called it the truth serum is because, you know, I want to see the truth of real issues and challenges that we're facing as humanity come to light. And, you know, there's so much that's behind it. And truth is different for everybody. My truth is different for your truth. It's different to the prisoner's truth. And one of the initiatives I tried to get behind in the UK was saying to people, I mean, I worked with this. It was called the Centre for Full Employment. And it was about having people that have been out of work for whatever reason come and work within your organization and you teach them these skills and you help them rehabilitate and you know you uh you give them like the opportunity to work and I was like how amazing would this be if we rolled this out with prisons and we actually had entrepreneurs and companies that actually understood this because the money that we're paying for prisons the monies that we're paying to clean up crimes and the monies that we're uh, spending uh, on all of these things could be actually saved and put to much better use. Um, yeah. If we as entrepreneurs and we as coaches donated time or we got behind these initiatives like yours and said, right, I've got three places in my organization. Let me take a prisoner. Let me help them. You know, right. but that, that person who's been in prison needs skills. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other thing is like, there might be opportunities, but we need to get them ready for these opportunities. Mm. So why are these entrepreneurs not going into the prisons to teach them these skills or can we get them in there? And, you know, are these entrepreneurs that, you know, listening and these coaches that are listening or these uh, trainers that are listening, are they able to reach out to you and say that I've got these skill sets, I want to come, I want to get involved, let me come and teach these prisoners? Uh, you know once they've gone through and they've understood their trauma responses can they then work with you to uh then train these prisoners on their way out so that they're not just left with two hundred dollars and a bus ticket that's right exactly so there's a lot of opportunity for everyone to get involved and to donate and to volunteer and become a pen pal there's many people in the world that are waiting for connection. And um, my vision is 2.2 people, there's 2.2 million people in America's prisons. I want everyone to have a pen pal. Okay. Like that's so key. And then, and from there, there'll be more transparency. We'll really know what's going on in prisons. So. Um, so beautiful. I feel so blessed that you've come on to share what you're doing with everybody today. 
So uh, just to reiterate, that's the compassionprisonproject.com or .org? .org. 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 Um, so the compassionprisonproject.org. There's fundraising, get involved, get volunteering, contact Fritzy, and uh, you know, let's, let's help transform the prison system. It's much needed. Thank you so much for being. Thank you, Darren. So good to see you. Yeah, likewise, my darling. And the dog <laughs> behaved finally, thank God. Yeah, go Rocco. <laughs> We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Truth Serum Podcast. You can follow Dawn directly through her Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash real Dawn Bates. This is an invitation only podcast. That said, if you would like to speak with us or come on the show, please send an email through hello at dawnbates.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Remember to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Sharing is caring, so share away. Until next time, folks, grab a good book, see a sunset, and expand your knowledge and experience.